Good morning again, everyone. It's always good to see you. I'll say it again. It's great to see you guys. It's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, we are coming really close to the close of 50 days in Genesis. And so if you've been reading along with us or watching along with us, good job. You're making it through. We've got one more week, and then we will have read all of Genesis together as a church, which is really exciting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We're getting close to the, the home stretch here. Um, and as we do that today, we're going to be focusing in on Joseph again this morning. Now, last week, if you were with us, Pastor Kendrick uh, talked about the life of Joseph, and he started at the very beginning of Joseph's life and, and kind of looked forward from that, but talked a lot about the dysfunction that existed in his family. Remember, he had 11 brothers, and they did not get along very well uh, as part of uh, their father Jacob's family. Well, today we're going to do the opposite. We're actually going to skip all the way to the very last book in Gen- or the very last chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to see the end of Joseph's story and use it to kind of look backwards and take in uh, a little bit of the whole of his life. Genesis slows down when we get to Joseph and spends almost 15 chapters in his life. Uh, that's important. That's significant. So that's why we're spending a little more time here to see what God's word has to teach us here in the life of Joseph. Um, these verses that we're going to look at, we're going to start in verse 15 and read all the way through verse 26, the end of the book. Uh, even though we've got one more sermon left, I kind of like jumped ahead of Kendrick. He's got one more in Genesis last week, so we're going to rewind a little bit, but it's okay. We got it figured out. Um, these verses don't just conclude the life of Joseph. They actually really sum up the book of Genesis. And all of the big ideas, all of the big questions that have been lingering are kind of tied together here in the way we end our time with Joseph. They show how God works in our broken and fallen world to bring about his good purposes. They show us that God brings blessing through suffering. So let's read these verses together and hear God's word for us today, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all of the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from there. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let's pray together, church. 
Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for this book of Genesis, which just centers us in, in the world as you have made it and the world as we live today. Father, I pray in these verses today that you would, you would speak to us, that your will would be known. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning would be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So these, these verses here pick up right after the death of Jacob and, and after his burial in Canaan. They've traveled um, and had this period of mourning. This is, uh, he wanted to be buried in the land of Canaan where Abraham had received this promise this land would one day belong to him and his children. And Jacob's 12 sons right now had, had already relocated at this point. They had fled a famine and had gone to Egypt where Joseph, through some miraculous circumstances that we're going to talk about, had been elevated to second in command of all of Egypt. He is uh, he's right under Pharaoh there, um, right in charge of everything. And now that their father is gone, these 10 older brothers, they get nervous because they remember all of the conflict that existed between them and Joseph. They remember all of the evil, it says, that they did against him, that transgression, that sin. And they start to draw the connection and say, man, there's nothing here to protect us anymore. Dad's not here. What if Joseph still is angry with us? They caused him great suffering after all. So that is what spurs on this, this meeting, to send messengers to Joseph and then to go speak to him and, and kind of starts this whole um, thing rolling off. This is sort of the, the situation where they're in, traveling back to Egypt. Um, and it gives us an opportunity to look at, at the different phases of Joseph's life. As we said, this is a long story, and so we can't cover it all in detail. So to help us out with this passage, we're going to look at three ideas Three kind of uh, big concepts that tie together Joseph's life and, and pop up in this passage. Those ideas are suffering, providence, and promise. Suffering, providence, and promise. We're going to start with suffering. The brothers rightly, I think, fear that Joseph might hold a grudge against them because they put Joseph through a lot of suffering. It says, uh, the word here they use here is evil. They inflicted evil against him. This can refer to harm, to wrongs, to calamity, suffering, and pain. They had always had a contentious relationship, as in many families, but this blew up beyond what would normally happen. Um, As Kendrick said last week, Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob's favorite wife. And so it's not hard to see where the conflict kind of started from, right? But things just went from bad to worse. And these 10 older brothers, um, early on in, in chapter 37, they decided that enough was enough. They could not say a kind word to him. They could not deal with him. And so they planned Joseph's murder. Really bad brothers. Um, eventually, they're talked down from that and decide, no, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to sell him into slavery. That'll way tone it down. And so they do. They throw their brother in a pit. They sell him as, as, as a slave. And they frame his death for their father. And to think that's the last we're ever going to see of this guy. We're done with him. What a horrifying fate to suffer at the hands of your family, of your brothers. And Joseph's suffering starts there, but it doesn't end there. He's taken as a slave to Egypt, where he's sold to the household of a wealthy official named Potiphar. And even though he works hard there and is recognized for his hard work, Potiphar's wife accuses him of terrible crimes, accuses him of attempting to take advantage of her. 
attempting to rape her. And, and he is accused and tried and convicted of these false charges and thrown into prison where he will spend years forgotten in this Egyptian jail cell, an imprisoned slave. Joseph lost his family, his freedom, his reputation. He's the victim of kidnapping, enslavement, false accusations, and imprisonment. So it's fair to say that he suffered greatly for a very long time. Not just because of his brothers, but they sure kicked it off and led to this chain of events. It wasn't because of his own foolishness. It wasn't because of his sin. People sinned against him. He suffered because of others' evil actions, the sin of others. But still, through all of this suffering that we see in his life, we are promised that God remained with Joseph. Genesis 39 repeats this over and over again. As all this stuff is happening, it says, but God remained with him. While people harm Joseph, God blesses Joseph. In Potiphar's house, God blessed him and gave him success in all his work that couldn't be ignored. So he was promoted. He was given charge of the household, even there as a slave, up until um, his, his reputation is destroyed. And then again in prison, um, he is such a faithful and honest man of integrity that he is promoted to be the head of all of the prisoners. Um, and someone who the, the warden doesn't even have to worry about Joseph. He knows this guy is good. Um, all of Joseph's hard work and integrity is blessed by God. It's given favor by God. And he is given favor with the people in authority over him by God. God remains with him. Verse 21 tells us that God showed him steadfast love. This is God's loyal, his covenant love that lasts through anything. This is, this is as faithful covenant, I am for you, I will not leave you as, uh, as it can be. God had not forgotten Joseph even as he suffered. I hope that you haven't experienced anything close to what Joseph went through in his life for years and years and years. I hope you haven't seen that kind of suffering. But still, all of us go through suffering. All of us face problems. All of us face pain and heartbreak. And, and oftentimes, that suffering comes because of us, right? It does be come because of our foolishness and our mistakes and our sin. Sin always has consequences. And our actions hurt others and they hurt ourselves so much of the time. We forget that sometimes. It's easy to say, oh, this is happening to me. But a lot of times it's because of our brokenness and our imperfection that suffering comes in our lives. And it produces suffering. But sometimes, like Joseph, that's not the case. Sometimes suffering happens just because we live in an imperfect world. Sometimes things that are as crazy and, and, and impersonal to us as nature or the economy or whatever it is hurt us. They cause us pain and they cause us difficulty. And it's hard to place a finger on why exactly this happens. It just happens and it hurts. Sickness, um, natural disasters, these things can come against us. And maybe even more painful, we can experience suffering at the hands of other people and their sin against us. That does happen. As we said, sin causes damage. And we oftentimes suffer as collateral damage for another's sin. We take the shrapnel for the bomb that is sin in our world and in other people's lives. We can face false accusations or lies. We can face discrimination or inequalities, just downright unfairness in the way the world works. We can uh, feel the pain of, of words that are thrown at us like knives intended to cut us and hurt us. We can see the results of our hard work and our labor come to nothing 
because they're stolen away or because things just don't work out. Whatever happens, our hard work doesn't pay off. And we can be, have our trust betrayed and have our faith in others not come to pass, have people turn on us. These things all happen. In short, we all suffer because we live in a broken world that is filled with broken people. We live in a world marred and corrupted by sin. However, just as God was with Joseph in Egypt, so God is with us in our suffering. Belonging to Christ means that God has promised to be with us at all times, in the midst of our pain, upholding us, protecting us, guiding us, no matter what it is we're going through, no matter how painful or long it is. God has not left us. God is never far away from us. No matter what we feel like, we are not alone and we are not abandoned in our suffering. And so you and I, as followers of Jesus, we can endure because we have a hope that goes past suffering. We have a hope because we have the almighty comforter alongside with us even as we hurt even as we um even as we face these things we know that god stays by our side but god is not just present in our suffering god is actively working through our suffering god is working through our suffering to produce something good one of the things we see over and over again in the story of joseph but just in the bible In the whole book of Genesis, we see God working through suffering, working through a broken world of sin and brokenness to produce something good. To produce something good. God does not waste any opportunity to accomplish his purposes and ultimately to grow us in Christ-likeness, to grow us in righteousness, to produce what is good not just around us but inside of us to change who we are, to kill sin and cultivate a heart that loves and obeys God. Romans 5, 3 through 5 talks about this. It says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God uses suffering, uses pain, uses our sin and the sin that's done to us to produce this, to produce endurance and character and Christ-likeness and ultimately unshakable hope in Jesus. Hope that's not dependent on everything going great in my life right now. It's not dependent on me having perfect health. It's not dependent on me having um, the the most uh, untouchable bank account or the best job or the most stable family life, but a hope that rests in Jesus and his faithfulness. That's what he produces through suffering. That's what he is constantly doing. And because of this, we can even rejoice as we are suffering. That doesn't mean we enjoy it. That doesn't mean we say these things are good. But we can have joy. We can have peace in God as we suffer. This is something that makes no sense to the world around us, does it? For anyone who doesn't have a hope that's in Jesus, your happiness, your peace is entirely based on how things are going for you right now. And so it is fragile. It is fragile. And it can change at any moment. Not for those whose faith is in Jesus. Our hope is solid. It is sure. And it endures through any suffering. Through any circumstances. Because God is with us. And God is at work in us. So when Joseph looked back in the hardship of his life, he didn't just see the sin that was done against him. He saw God at work in that. He saw God moving in that suffering. 
Because of what he went through, God used him to save countless people. That's what he talks about. He, he was gone through this to save many lives. When in Egypt, uh, God used dreams and, and his ability to interpret those dreams to elevate Joseph to the second most powerful man in Egypt and to avert a horrible uh, <laughs> environmental disaster from destroying Egypt. Because he is elevated to be Pharaoh's right-hand man and given charge of this disaster, this famine that swept the known world, the Egyptians survived. They had enough food stored up. And when Joseph and his sons came to Egypt looking for food, they found shelter. They found provision because of Joseph and what God had used him to do. God produced a great good through his leadership to protect Egypt, to protect Jacob's family from starvation. God worked through his hardship to produce great good. And so instead of having a heart of bitterness, right, instead of having a heart that is broken and filled with hate and anger over decades built up against his brothers, Joseph is able to forgive them. Joseph is able to have love towards his brothers, to weep when he hears that they would still think that this uh, grudge exists between them. That's because he trusts that God has been with him through this. He trusts in God more than he, than he holds on to bitterness and hate and anger. It frees him from that so he can forgive. And so church today, our lesson from Joseph is to not waste your suffering. Don't waste these opportunities we're going through, the pain that we're feeling, because God is not absent from those things. God is not wasting these things that we go through and things that happen to us. He is producing a good in us. It is an opportunity for growth and for righteousness. Don't use it as an opportunity for sin and bitterness. Don't waste your suffering. Joseph's suffering also points us forward to another who would suffer for the good of others, someone far greater than him. In this and many other ways, Joseph points us to Jesus. And you can see the parallels, right? Jesus also suffers on account of other people's sin. Jesus was without sin. He was, the, he was full of wisdom. His, he never had a foolish action that would bring consequences upon him. He never had a, a sin or a crime or a transgression against God that would bring uh, consequences upon him. No, he suffered for my sin and my mistakes and for yours and for all of humanity's mistakes and sin and evil, it was put upon him. By his suffering, by his stripes and wounds, countless people are given forgiveness and healing and life. In his death, Jesus gives others life. And so Jesus is the ultimate proof that God works through suffering, that God works through pain and brokenness. In Christ, God enters into our suffering. He takes our sin and he provides salvation. God works through suffering. Now the fair question might be after all that is to say, well, exactly how does that work? Right? How can God use evil to produce good? How can God use sin to produce his plan? Does that incriminate God? Does that mean God is the author of sin? Are these things coming from God? No. No, absolutely not. Scripture is very clear on this. God has no part of sin. He is not the author of sin. He does not commit any sin. God is perfect and holy. And so all of this together, how it exactly works, is not something that we can outline to the, to the finest detail. It's not something that we can run the numbers and understand in its entirety. It's one of the mysteries of God that we have to chalk up to one who is our creator, one who is outside of our universe because he made all things that exist. He is above us. 
but this passage does help us to understand something of how this works, how God can use brokenness to produce his good. We say that God works through suffering by his providence. God works by his providence. Now, this is a a kind of a theological uh, Bible word that we sometimes use. We don't talk about providence much in just the everyday um, nine to five, right? And so here's what we mean when we say that. This is a word that we use to describe God's all-powerful, all-knowing work in the world. His all-powerful, all-knowing work in the world to uphold, guide, and care for creation. To uphold, guide, and care for creation. Basically, it's saying that God works all things together for good, for his plan and his purposes. That he always accomplishes his good plans. That's providence. And look at Genesis 50, 20. This is where we see a little bit of that window. Joseph admits, when his brothers come to him, that his brothers have done evil against him. That they meant their action for evil. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to cause him harm because of the sin that was in them, because of their jealousy, because of their anger and hatred that led to violence. This is sin. It is evil. It is not good. And so they sold him into slavery. They meant this action for evil. But God meant this action for good. And through it saved many lives. God uses their sinful action to accomplish his good purposes. Now this blows our mind for a little bit. There's two things we see here. There's two very important truths for how we navigate a broken world around us. How we see God working in the midst of our suffering. The first is that God's plans are never hindered by evil and suffering. God's plans are never hindered by evil and suffering. When those brothers sold Joseph into slavery, God wasn't like, whoops, got to go to plan B. Um, You know, uh uh-oh, what am I going to do? I got to think about this. No, God was not bothered by that. There has never been sinful action or even sinful thought that caught God off guard that he was surprised by. That's not how things work. God knows all things. God knows our nature he knows what we're thinking, how we act, how we, how we are. And so he's not shocked by this. He knows that we are fallen and mastered by sin. He has never and will never be surprised or flustered by our sin. That thinks a little too highly of ourselves. So we can calm down a little bit. God is still in control. And once more, God's not threatened by sin and evil. We pick up this idea from our culture around us and from many other ways of, of that, that other societies have tried to understand the world, that there is this duality, there's this battle between light and darkness, between good and evil, and it's this one-on-one battle, and who's going to come out on top? I don't know. It's, it's really neck and neck. You know, it's kind of the Star Wars thing, the good side versus the light side, balance and the force. That's not how this works, right? God is not threatened by evil. There is nothing that makes God slow down. There's no one on his level. So we do not need to fear evil. We do not need to think that evil might for a moment overcome God and what he is doing. There are no sinful intentions of people, especially, who can halt what God wants to do. Not pharaohs, not kings, not presidents or empires. Nothing can slow God down in what he is doing in our world. That should be a great comfort to us. God's plans are not stopped or slowed by evil, sin, or suffering. The second thing we see in God's providence is that God accomplishes his good through our sin. This is, again, something that's 
hard to wrap our minds around, but it is ultimately a good truth. God's plan comes to be through our sinful actions, the sinful actions of human beings. Joseph's story is a great example of this. God used Joseph to protect his family from the coming famine. In fact, God even protected and blessed the Egyptians and the other nations around him. This is the promise of Abraham that through you I will bless the nations. That's happening through Joseph. That's happening through his, the things he went through, through his imprisonment, through his slavery, through being forgotten in prison for more than two years. God could have done this any way he wanted to. But in his wisdom, this is how he decided to do it. And I don't know why that is, right? And neither do any of us. Like, you can read as many commentaries as you want and say, why did God decide to do it this way? We don't know. But God, in his wisdom, always knows not just the way to do it, but the best way to do it. And so this is what God chose to do, to do this through the anger and jealousy of Joseph's brothers, through the lies of Potiphar's wife, through the suffering in prison that Joseph experienced. Now, this doesn't mean that God forced these people to sin, right? That doesn't mean that these brothers are just totally scot-free. They didn't mean to. They were just kind of along for the ride. No, they chose this. They chose this. We choose our own sin. The Bible tells us that God does not sin. He does not cause us to sin. He does not tempt us to sin. We are completely responsible for our choices and actions. We really make these decisions. James 1 outlines this for us in, in verse 13 through 15. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Right? These things come from inside us. We choose to sin. And God, in his mercy, in his power, in his wisdom, accomplishes his plan anyway. God is not bothered by our sin. God uses it for his good purpose. He redeems even our worst actions to bring about his good. This is very good news because it means God is good, God is powerful, and God is wise. And we can rest in these things even if we don't understand the details. Even if we don't know the plan, we know that God is always in control. Even when we try our best to reject God, to frustrate his good plans, to ignore what he tells us to do, to to follow our own way, God is not hindered. One writer says that the justice of God shines brightly in the midst of the darkness of our sin. The justice of God shines brightly in the midst of the darkness of our sin. God always does what he says, and nothing can stop him. I think we struggle with this idea of providence, obviously. I think it's difficult. Um, And I think um, this is because we doubt And we question sometimes, whether on purpose or just sort of in our minds, the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the presence of God. The power, the wisdom, and the presence. Sometimes we can question, is God able to help me here? Is God able to stop this terrible evil that I see happening? We question if God is strong enough to overcome evil. Or we may question his wisdom. Does God really know what he's doing? Does God really understand all of the effects that this is having on my life? Maybe God should have planned this a little better because I don't like what's happening right now. That's easy to to feel that way. Or maybe we just doubt if God is even there. Maybe God's off somewhere else dealing with some other bigger problem. Maybe he's not interested. But all of these doubts drag God down to our level, don't they? 
They treat God like he is a creature, like he's a created being like you and I, with limitations in what we can do, limitations in what we can know, and limitations on where we could be. But God is not limited in these ways. He is the almighty. He is the perfect creator. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good. We can trust him, that he is not only powerful, loving, and wise, but he is present, and he is active. I think our view of this world would look very different if we remember that in all things, from the biggest to the lowest, God is here and God is active. He is working, and his plan will come to be. The greatest example of providence is not Joseph and his brothers. It's Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see an even greater evil and even greater in amount and in the, in the severity, an even greater crime used for an even greater good. We see the most heinous act that human beings have ever committed, that they took God, the author of life, and they nailed him to a cross, that they tortured him, that they killed him, that they made him suffer, that we did that. We see the greatest crime ever produce the most beautiful gospel, the most beautiful message of salvation and hope that God used our very worst to show his very best. In Jesus, God works through his providence to bring about the salvation of all who would believe in Jesus. Forgiveness for all of our sin. And there's a beauty and a mystery here that we will spend the rest of our lives on this planet and the rest of our time in eternity studying and pondering and praising God for It is that beautiful, it is that big, it is that mysterious. God works through our sin by his providence. On the cross, he uses that to save us. His perfect power, his perfect goodness, his perfect wisdom all accomplish this perfect plan. So we've said that God works through suffering and he does so by his providence. And so the final question is, what is this all going towards? What's the point of this? What is God doing in my suffering? What is God doing by his providence? What's the end goal here? It's not just good in general in a generic way. There's a specific point. There's a specific purpose. We see that God is working toward his promises. God is working toward his promises to accomplish all of the good things that he has promised to give us. God keeps his promises. This is all over Genesis, right? At the core, Genesis is about God's promise to save us from the brokenness and the curse that we have brought into this world. It is a rescue plan. Everything after Genesis 3, when we bring sin, when we bring the curse into the world, God is at work to remove that curse and to bring blessing, to take away the curse that we've earned and give us the blessing that we don't deserve. And he does this by promising to Abraham, that I will bless your family. I will give you this land. I will make you a nation. And what is the point of all that? Why am I doing all this? So that I can bless the nations. So that I can bless all people. So that through your offspring, through your descendant, this incredible blessing that will be for the globe is going to come. And this eventually will lead us through Isaac, through Jacob, through Joseph and Israel, all the way to Jesus. This is the point. This is the promise that all of Genesis, all of the Bible is moving towards. And this is why the book ends with Joseph's instructions about his burial, right? He goes back to Egypt. They're waiting. They're not in the promised land. They're not yet a nation. Their future is is open to them. They don't know where this is going. But Joseph shows faith here. He says, I know that God will visit his people again. 
and that he will bring us back to this land that he promised to our fathers, that he promised to Abraham, and he will accomplish what he said he would do. And he says, when that happens, I don't know when, when that happens, you take my bones and you bury it in the promised land. Because I'm not going to stay in Egypt. I'm going to go back to what God has promised. I'm going to trust that this promise will come. Joseph trusts that God is always working through suffering by his providence to accomplish his promises. There are constantly threats that are coming up against this promised family that threaten God's promise. There's the internal problems. They're always fighting against each other. They're always sitting. They're always messing up, right? There's the external threats. They're being attacked by people. There's a threat that they would be conquered and destroyed and killed or that famine would would cause them to die off. And then there's always the threat that they would turn away from God, that they would be ensnared by the other gods around them, the idols of of the nations. Well, Joseph is used by God to fight off all three of these threats and and keep God's promise to protect this people. Joseph repairs the internal dysfunction that threatened his family, right? There was the threat that his family and his brothers could go like all the others had, like Jacob and Esau, these brothers who are never reconciled, right? To Cain and Abel, the brother who murdered his brother because of sin. But Joseph is not going to repeat this pattern. He is going to repair it. Instead of being unable to speak a kind word, he will speak kindly and comfort his brothers even though they have sinned against him. He is going to repair, he is going to forgive, and he is going to protect instead of fostering grudges and and perpetuating this violence. Through Joseph, the family is restored to unity. And in Egypt, they will become a nation. So he, he repairs the internal dysfunction. Joseph's leadership also protects them from external threats. We've talked about this. Through his leadership, through his planning, they survive the famine. They will not die of starvation in the promised land because of, Jacob, or of, of Joseph's provision. Because Joseph protected them. Because he planned. Because there was food for plenty of them. That they could survive in Egypt. Um, away from the famine in Canaan. So he protects them from external threats. And thirdly, Joseph will protect them from falling away into idols. When they go to Egypt, he, he brings them to a, a land that is separate from Egypt, to the land of Goshen. And he, and he ensures that they will have the space here to continue to worship God and not worship the gods of Egypt. To continue to practice the way of life that God has given them and not fall into the, the way of life and the sin that is, is plaguing the Egyptian people. He ensures that they will follow God. The same way that he had followed God when he was surrounded by a world that did not know God. The way that he was faithful and a man of integrity, even as he was a slave in a house that did not know God. Even as he was a prisoner in a prison full of people who did not know God. They remained faithful to the one true God instead of falling to Egyptian idols. Joseph is a savior. He provides for his family. He protects them. He provides for this promised line. Through that suffering, God's promises to Abraham are kept. God's promises to Isaac and Jacob are kept. But it is the descendant of Joseph who finally accomplishes all of God's promises, right? And we did this two other times. We're going to do it one more time. It is pointing forward to Jesus, the greater Savior, who is finally going to bring all of these things to pass. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Jesus is the proof. Jesus is the final. It is done. There is no more work to do. The promises are secure. They are done. Jesus does the same things that we see in a smaller way in Joseph. He repairs our internal dysfunction. He takes our sin. He gives us a new heart, a heart that is not bent on sinning and disobeying God and fighting against his perfect plan and perfect will. 
He gives us a new heart that loves to follow God, that loves his word, that delights in following him. It happens slowly, right? You and I can testify to that. It doesn't happen all at once. We still are broken, but we are moving closer to God in the Spirit. The Spirit is inside of us, prompting us to follow God, to obey Him. He repairs our internal dysfunction. He protects us from external threats. No matter what we go through in this life, we can trust that God is with us, that His promises are not void because of our circumstances. No matter what it is, whether it be war on the other side of the planet or economic collapse or whatever it is, family dysfunction, uh, whatever, any external circumstance, we can follow God through. He will protect us. And finally, Jesus protects us against our religious faithlessness. We are prone to wander, the, heart, the psalms, or the, not the psalm, the song says. Um, our hearts are prone to wander. We wander after worshiping and serving so many other gods. In Jesus, we are forgiven. And Jesus draws us back. He is the good shepherd who brings us back to God over and over and over again. He will not let his people become distracted by idols. He will not let his people serve another god. He will bring them to himself. Jesus is the savior who is promised in Genesis. And through Jesus and his suffering, God brings salvation and forgiveness to all who believe. Joseph saved his family. Jesus takes his enemies and adopts them into his family. Joseph saved the nation. Jesus saves people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Joseph provided food for a few years, but Jesus provides eternal provision and protection. Jesus is the solution for all of the problems that we see in the life of Joseph and all of the problems and suffering that we experience in our lives. And he finally will end the curse of sin and bring the blessings of God. God brings blessing through suffering, and he does it in Jesus. And so Joseph and Genesis point us to Jesus, who through suffering brings the blessing of God to his people. And so church when we read this story, when we ponder these things, we need to look forward to Jesus. We need to trust him that no matter what we're suffering through right now, that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the promised solution to all that we go through. When we have trouble trusting God and his plan, we remember that through Jesus, our sin has been dealt with. That sin will not have the last word. God will. And so if you do not know Jesus, if you have not left all behind to follow Jesus, follow him today. He calls to anyone who would come. Come and believe. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive life and life abundantly. The blessing of God comes through Jesus. We need to believe this message. We need to live by this message. And we need to tell this message to anyone who will listen to us. Because this is the only hope for the world. That God brings blessing through suffering. Let's pray together, church. Father, we, we just stand in awe of your gospel. We stand in awe looking at Jesus who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith the one who has accomplished everything that you promised. And so, Father, I pray that you would take every other source of trust, every other hope, every other promise that we've tried to cling on to, and you would 
just kill those things, that you would remove them from us, Lord, that you would lay us bare only following you. I pray that we would hold nothing back, that we would go full, completely trusting with everything we have towards Jesus. Father, let that be the legacy of our lives and the legacy of our church that we gave everything to trust in Jesus. Father, let it be said of us that we have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen.